the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He was a man's man, a carpenter, you know, rough and tough, but he wept. David, the Bible says, a warrior, a shepherd, but he also wept. Jeremiah the prophet wept. Guys, it's okay to weep once in a while. I mean, Jesus wept here because he's emotionally present in the moment. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 3 that Jesus was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through John. For a long time, prevailing culture has taught that tears are a symbol of weakness, both for men and women. But the truth is, their absence is more often a sign of fear. Instead of being brave enough to confront feelings and humble enough to show our weaknesses, we bottle up our feelings and hide behind a facade. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, Jesus, who was the most powerful being ever to walk the earth, was no stranger to grief, and he allowed his followers to see it in him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 11, as he continues his message... I am the resurrection and the life. We often do impulsive things based on emotion. We say regrettable things often based on emotion. We think irrational things based on emotion. Emotion is not always bad, but it certainly is unreliable. When our emotions try to dominate our thoughts, Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because when our emotions try to dominate our thoughts and actions, we have to stop. We have to take our, our thoughts captive. We have to take a deep breath and we have to ask What does God want in the moment? Not to be impulsive, but what does God want? Let's slow it down and determine what God wants me to do in the moment. However unconventional that might be, it was certainly unconventional for Jesus just to stay where he was for a couple more days and not to do the expected thing, the emotional thing. The immediate answer that we sometimes think we have is not always the right answer, especially when emotion is involved. So we need to let God lead 
not our emotions. Number three, another observation from this story, I've said this many times before, is that God's delay is often for his display. You know, God doesn't work on our timetable. It never has, and he never will. He works on his own timetable. And so we have to adapt to God's timetable, not the other way around. And let me tell you the reason here why Jesus intentionally delayed getting to Lazarus. Obviously, we know the rest of the story, so it's easy to figure out. The reason why Jesus delayed getting to Lazarus when Lazarus was sick and near death was so that Lazarus could die. Was so that Lazarus could die. Now, why? I mean, that seems so uncaring on the surface. Especially to Lazarus' family, no doubt that seemed uncaring. What took you so long? You, you decided to stay where you were for two more days. But, but when we understand the bigger picture of what is happening here, then it makes more sense to us. Let me ask you a question. What would produce the same outcome in this story? What would produce the same outcome with a bigger miracle and a greater impact? Would it be if Jesus had healed Lazarus from his sickness or if Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead? Well, it's the latter. I mean, the greater miracle is raising Lazarus from the dead, not simply healing his sickness, although God could have done either. What he, cho- what he chose to do was to wait where he was so that Lazarus could die, so that when Jesus shows up, there's going to be an even greater miracle than what otherwise would have occurred. Sometimes we want God to fix something, and we want God to fix something now. But his delay is often for his display, the display of his glory, because perhaps he wants to do something bigger. Perhaps he wants to do something greater, and we only limit him when we expect him to do something now. Let God do what God wants to do for his greater glory and perhaps even a greater miracle. And so uh, Jesus waits until Lazarus is dead and so that he can show, Jesus, so that he can show that he has power, not just over sickness, but over death and the grave. So when he arrives at the place where they had buried him, which the Bible says here in the New King James is a cave, one of the first things we see here, it's, it's a famous verse, although most people don't know where it is, but it's here, John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, let me ask you, why did he weep? Why did Jesus weep if he knew that, in fact, he was going to be raising Lazarus from the dead? Well, there's three typical reasons. The first reason is some people think that he wept because he felt badly for Lazarus having to bring him back from paradise. You know, I mean, if, if he's in paradise and enjoying life in paradise, it's almost a cruel thing to bring him back to the earth. Some people think Jesus wept for that reason. I don't think so. Some people think Jesus wept for himself, that, that he was so sad that people didn't believe that he was able to do what he came to do, and they were disappointed that he showed up late. I don't, I don't think Jesus was ever sorry for himself. I think that the most plausible reason why Jesus wept is the third reason, and that is because Jesus wanted to be emotionally present in the moment. Jesus wanted to be emotionally present in the moment. You know, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And, and he has an emotional side. Now, you know, make no mistake about it. He, he was a man's man, a carpenter, you know, rough and tough, but he wept. 
David, the Bible says, a warrior, a shepherd, but he also wept. Jeremiah, the prophet, wept. Guys, it's okay to weep once in a while. I mean, Jesus wept here because he's emotionally present in the moment. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, that Jesus was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. And so he felt in the moment and he was emotionally present. And when Jesus arrives here at the tomb, he instructs people what to do. This is the rest of the story. If you have your Bible still open there to John 11, pick it up at verse 38. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was, who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. I like uh, the, the King James Version says that she says, Lord, by now he stinketh. All right. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Then I read a commentary once that said he intentionally called Lazarus by name because if he had just simply said, come forth, all the dead graves, all the dead people in their graves would have come alive. But he specifically says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. What a remarkable scene that this man who had been dead four days walks out of the tomb still wearing his grave clothes. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he said that so that we would understand his power over death and the grave. And then he demonstrated that power by raising Lazarus from the dead. And yet, this is an incomplete picture because Lazarus still died. At some point later, Lazarus died again. You know, he he died a natural death, even though Jesus had raised him from the dead. It wasn't a permanent raising like the one that the Bible promises for believers in Christ. That's why I say this is somewhat of an incomplete picture. It was only intended to give us a glimpse of a bigger picture. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. When he said that, it was intended to show us that Jesus has power over death and the grave so that we would know that what the Bible says about life after death is true. The Bible tells us things about life after death. And I hope this will be an encouraging, an encouraging word to you. Because all of us are going to face death at some point. All of us are going to die unless the Lord returns and takes us out of this earth before that. We will all experience death. Death is no respecter of persons. And so the Bible tells us that we don't need to lose heart because 
we have a promise and a hope of life after death. So I'm going to share three simple things with you about what this means by Jesus saying to us, I am the resurrection and the life. What does this mean for us concerning death? Number one, it means that death is not a destination. It's a transition. For the believer, upon death, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that our body separates from our spirit and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And so Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Friends, don't believe what your Jehovah's Witness friends tell you when they come knocking at your door and they will advance a doctrine. It's a false doctrine called soul sleep. They will tell you that your body goes into the grave and you're there and you're just, you're, you're asleep. Your soul is asleep until Jesus comes again. That's not true. Paul makes it clear, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As a believer, the moment we die, our spirit separates from our body and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And then following later, at some appointed time later, our, our, our dead bodies will be raised imperishable. We get a glorified body that will be reunited with our spirit one day. But the immediate thing that happens upon the death of a believer, someone who trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is that your soul goes to be immediately in the presence of the Lord. So death is not a destination, it's a transition. It's from this life into eternal life. Helen Keller once said, and I'm sure you know Helen Keller was deaf and blind from the age of two, and she said this, quote, death is no more than passing from one room into another, but there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see, of course. Billy Graham, who died in 2018, he said, quote, one day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe it? On that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. I've just changed addresses, end quote. And by the way, this is important to know, we are not alone in that transition. From this life to the next, when we die, we are never alone. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus teaches this story. And in the story, he talks about an unnamed unbeliever and a named believer. And in the story in Luke 16, that guy's name is Lazarus too. Probably not the same Lazarus here. And what Jesus says is that when Lazarus died, because he was a believer in the Lord, in Luke 16, verse 22, it says that Lazarus was carried by angels to paradise. You see, when we die, the Bible tells us that angels are dispatched to come and assist us and to be with us in the transition from this life to the next. You're never alone through death. For those of you who have always worried about your loved one, they were alone when they died. They were not alone. Because the Bible says for believers, angels are dispatched and they carry us to the place of the Lord. Number two, it's an important thing for us to know this, that death is a reunion with our loved ones for those in Christ. It's a reunion. When you know Christ and your loved ones have known Christ, going to heaven is a glorious reunion. One of the greatest joys and comforts that we have as believers regarding death is knowing that we shall be reunited. And by the way, I firmly believe the Bible teaches, and we shall recognize 
our loved ones in heaven. Let me give you just a couple of reasons why I believe we're going to recognize them. For example, in John chapter 21, after Jesus has risen from the dead and he has his glorified body, he still maintains uh, the same resemblance. And so in John 21, he goes up to the Sea of Galilee. He's standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of his disciples are, have returned to fishing. At first, they don't recognize him, but that's only because they're so amazed and overjoyed. But then immediately after their disbelief, then they realize this is Jesus. So they recognized him and they went swimming to him to get to him. So he was recognizable in his glorified state. We also see in Luke's gospel chapter nine, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it tells us that along with Jesus appeared Moses and Elijah. And it tells us that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah, but they had never met them. Moses and Elijah were hundreds of years before the disciples. And yet they knew them. They recognized them. And of course, Paul will tell us us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, now in this present age, I know in part, but then when I'm with the Lord, I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So if we can recognize our loved ones now, and we only know things in part, why shouldn't we be able to recognize them then when we shall know fully, even as we're fully known? So I do believe that death is a glorious reunion with our loved ones, and we will recognize them in Christ. This is why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we grieve when we lose a loved one, but not like those who have no hope, because we have this hope that we will be reunited with our loved ones in Christ, and we will recognize them. And so, number one, death is not a destination, it's a transition. Number two, death is a reunion with our loved ones for those in Christ. And finally, number three, death is not the end, it's the beginning of eternal life. In John 14, verse 19, Jesus said, because I live, you also shall live. This is why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who will live as believes in me shall never die. Now, of course, he's making allowance for physical death. He's talking about the reality is that the human soul never dies. Now, this is very important for you to grasp. Please hear me on this. Heaven is a real place, but so is hell. The human soul never dies. The question becomes, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend eternity in heaven with the Lord? Or will you spend eternity in hell eternally separated from him? Now, I know that some of you watching might have this question, or if not you, some of your friends have this question. What kind of a God would have created hell in the first place? You know, I thought God is a loving God. Why would he ever send people to hell? All right, this is important for everybody to understand. So please listen carefully. In Matthew 25, verse 41, it tells us that God designed hell for Satan and his demons. That was the original intent behind hell. Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was created for the devil and his angels, for demons. It was not originally intended for us, all right? But we end up joining Satan and his angels by choice when we reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
But now, hear this also, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, know the heart of God, because 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So put the two things together. Here's the heart of God. He created hell originally for Satan and his angels. And as it relates to humanity, he wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. We have to work hard at going to hell. I mean, we do. Friends, listen, you have to intentionally reject Jesus as Lord and Savior in order to join Satan and his angels in hell, which is God's original design for hell. His original intent for us was to spend eternity with him. But when mankind sinned and broke relationship with God, severed relationship with God, now mankind was destined for hell except that, here's the good news, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God made gracious provision so that no one should have to go to hell, but that everyone, by trusting in Jesus, by believing that Jesus is the I am, the resurrection, and the life, might have that life in Christ, that fullness of life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about in the Greek, there's two words for life, bios, meaning natural life. Biology is the study of that life. And then there's zoe life, the kind of life that transcends the natural and the physical, the, the, the life that is eternal, the life that is completely full in him. This is why Jesus said, I came that you might have life, zoe, and life more abundantly. This is what the Lord came to offer us. Forgiveness of sins by his death on a cross so that we could go to heaven and experience this kind of life that he came to give us. But it has to be a choice. God opened heaven wide for as many as would believe. But there is only one way to get there. You have to trust that Jesus is the resurrection and the life that he's the way to be saved. He suffered a death on the cross for our sins. Though he had committed no sins, he became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Friends, heaven is described in the Bible as a beautiful place, a place literally with streets of gold and gates of pearl, where there will be, Revelation tells us, no more sorrow, no more pain, No more suffering, no more tears, to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So the question becomes, are you ready? Are you ready whenever that day comes? Are you ready to die? Do you know for certain that when you die, you will go to heaven? Are you prepared to see Jesus? Because if you're not, Today would be a great day to make that decision, to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. God made a way for us where there was no other way, that we might have relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. And so I invite you to trust him with me right now as your personal Lord and Savior. Let there be no doubts in your heart that when that day comes, You're going to go to heaven and you're going to see Jesus because you know that your sins have been forgiven and you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior.
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching about Jesus, defining who exactly He is and why He's so important to you. Jesus is the I Am, and He can change your life. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. We encourage you to continue reading about Jesus yourself as well. You can find Him in every book of the Bible, but we'd be happy to help point you towards specific scripture pertaining to his life and ministry. Just ask when you call. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We'd love to meet you too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in for this Jesus is the I Am series. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.